You're listening to Grace and Fire, brought to you by Emerging Women. Today, my guest is Ra Goddess. Ra is a cultural innovator and social entrepreneur who brings over two decades of transformational crowd rockin' in the name of social change. As a world-renowned performing artist and activist, her work has been internationally featured in several compilations, anthologies, forums, and festivals. In her 30-plus year tenure as a creative organizer, Ra has shaped the face of racial injustice and equality, electoral politics, offender aid and restoration, mental health, youth, and young women's empowerment. With Emerging Women, Raw Goddess was a featured presenter at the fantastic May 2014 Power Party in New York, New York. In today's episode, Ra and I spoke about her work with Move the Crowd and how she's creating a league of extraordinary creative entrepreneurs. Culture, what she means by culture, and how our culture is shifting to a more collective, creative, and diverse expression. Working with the global diaspora. Limiting beliefs common among entrepreneurs and her six steps for working through them. And finally, her sage advice for emerging women everywhere. Here is my conversation, Move the Crowd, with the strong and powerful Raw Goddess. Hello and welcome, Raw Goddess. How are you? I'm well, so well. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Every time I talk to you, I smile and laugh before we even say anything. Why is I that? feel the same way. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I, I feel the same way, you know. I, I, I just think it's the kindredness, you know. <laughs> yes. I'm just always so inspired by your spirit and... Which is interesting because you are an amazing businesswoman. You have this business called Move the Crowd, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in your philosophy. But you're also a poet, a writer, a performer, a slam poet, nonetheless. And, and in fact, I was talking to one of our speakers, Dominique Christina, who's the Women's World Slam Poetry Champion two years oh, in a row. Yeah. And she said, you started this whole thing. Like you actually like well, created this women slam poetry like genre. I mean, I've heard I, a couple I people don't know say if that. I cre- created it, Chantal, but I, I will say that I had I've had the privilege of being one of the early players in the field, and I'm so blown away to see the way that the movement has blossomed. You know, certainly over the last fifteen plus years, and um, and Dominique is world class in every sense of the word. So please, you know, I'm so happy that, that um, you all are continuing to engage her through emerging women. And, and, you know, again, I just adore her. She's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's curious that you are, you know, as an artist, as an, an activist, a humanitarian, usually if when people are humanitarian or, you know, they're sort of like, you know, creative types, they don't actually start companies that help people build businesses. Like that is, it's not a, a natural pairing, um, mm-hmm. or maybe it is. Maybe mm-hmm. it is, and this is the the future of mm-hmm. business. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your history and how you came to be starting Move the Crowd and to be a leader in this genre. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely, and you know, and and before we sort of move off to the creative thing, I you know, I think 
there's a little bit of a mythology out there, you know, in that um, an assumption that all creators are not entrepreneurial or all artists are not entrepreneurial. Um, Artists are incredibly disciplined individuals (laughs) and you, and you have to be right. You know, you just think about listening to Dominique, you know, read her work, you know, and what, what does it take to, um, bring that level of lyrical brilliance, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> into into three minutes, right? Usually or, or five right. minutes or less. Um, you know, it takes incredible discipline and incredible fortitude to be able to do that. And so, um, you know, as much as I know we joke and, and often we talk about it in the context of our work with creatives as well, you know, we have this perception of of not being entrepreneurial or not being so much disciplined, right, in ways that would lend themselves to our entrepreneurship. It's actually quite the reverse. Um, You know, for me, Move the Crowd is really an integration of everything I've done over the last three decades or three-plus decades. You know, the company combines my passion for leadership development, for economic empowerment, and personal growth with my commitment to cultural innovation and societal transformation. This is like everything I love in one place. (laughs) And, um, you know, the mission of the work is really to leverage this movement aimed at fostering a new way of handling our business. And, And that's what's most exciting to me. And, you know, I agree with you in that it's not necessarily a normal thing you would see on an artistic resume, but what I will say is that as an artist, um, I have always been dedicated, committed to, and at work around culture, mm-hmm. right? And capitalism is a culture. <laughs> we talk a lot about it as an economic system, but it also is a culture. And so culture shifting has always been a part of my work. And so in, in that sense, I'm actually right at home. Fostering this new way of of doing business. <laughs> what do you what, you know? I'm interested. What do you mean by culture? Mm. It's such an interesting word. You know, is it community? Yeah. Is it arts? Is it what is? Yeah, it? it's a great question. You know, so so part of what we know about culture in the sort of traditional sense are you know rituals, customs, ceremony, right? Um, ways, food, right? There's sort of these different dimensions. Of, of how we move in our lives. Uh, but it also is attitudes, beliefs, perceptions, lexicon, behavior, right? And when we talk about shifting culture, those are the places where we really go to work. Um, you know, and within the landscape of rituals and customs and traditions, there are certain things that foster and enliven and empower communities, and there are certain things that challenge mm-hmm. and disempower and disenfranchise communities. And there are rituals and customs and traditions that operate in that way as well, right? And uh-huh. so um, when I think about culture, it really is about the celebration of our humanity, and it is about strengthening the kinds of traditions that enable more of us to thrive mm-hmm. from a global perspective. Mm-hmm. And then when you say culture shifting, what do you think we're shifting out of and into right now as, you know, a culture of business leaders and entrepreneurs? Mm, I think it's, you know, it's interesting because I think it, we can speak about it in the entrepreneurial context, but I actually think there's a, there's a larger global shift happening okay. for us as a global community. And, um, 
and I describe it as one of moving out of the age of celebrity and into the age of citizen. Huh. Yes, and, not a moment too soon. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, what we know about the age of celebrity, it was, it's been a lot about iconizing and idolizing, right, and people and certain types of behavior and certain ways of operating in the world. And it's been a culture that has bred an incredible level of disparity, Right, the sort of haves and the have-nots, the beautiful people and the not beautiful people, the mm-hmm. worthy folks and the not worthy folks, and, you know, and we can kind of go on and on and on and on, and it's really bred um, underneath it these cultural wounds of scarcity and separation. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the shift is into the age of the citizen, and I believe that more everyday people are far less interested in watching celebrities unravel and far much more interested in figuring out how they make their own unique brand of contribution to the planet. I think this new age is less about personal upward mobility and more about quality of contribution. And how do we not just have the right to quote-unquote succeed, but how we have the right to make a difference. And that is what I believe we are now organizing ourselves around in this new cultural paradigm. And when you say the age of the citizen and and talking about being able to express our uniqueness, are you talking about that also in terms of, because what I'm seeing is a lot more collective Mm -hmm. relationship-based movement as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there room for that in that expression of the citizen or is it more? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the, the fundamental opportunity of this new age is about unifying. But I do think that within that, understanding what is it that we each have to offer, what yeah. is it that we each have to bring that makes the collaboration so exciting and right. so important, right? Um, and so necessary and possible, right? So it's this combination of how do we work together, but how do we understand, you know, if we think about any of our indigenous traditions, you know, there were women who brought the tomatoes, there were women who brought the corn, there were women who brought the beans, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that was was what made the stew possible, was the beauty and the brilliance of our uniqueness coming together in this collaborative way. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's something that is held in the feminine is that our expression, our personal individual expression is also rooted in impact and giving and connection to others. Whereas the masculine, the individual expression has more of an individual purpose to it, which is wonderful as well. It's just a very different feel. And I think that collective community, it feels like it's definitely coming from this rise in the feminine and more of a a different approach um, than we've had in the past. It's our gatherer energy. You know, we are communal by nature. You know, that has been our role throughout the centuries, has been to care for the tribe, you know. So we're always, you know, looking to the left and to the right. (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, and and it it is ingrained, you know, in in our being. Yeah. Tell us more about who you work with in Move the Crowd. I always thought it was um, interesting that you seem to work with, and I'll use this word, underrepresented clientele, people that 
um, are new to business or a lot of people of color, younger people, millennials, and why, you know, tell us more about your clients and why you chose to work with them in particular. Mm. So, you know, it's so interesting because I would say, Chantel, that we work with the global diaspora and particularly of creative and cultural entrepreneurs who are looking to stay true, get paid and do good. So they're looking to marry values with economic sustainability and social impact, societal Mm -hmm. impact. Mm -hmm. And I'm conscious about the reframe because I think that we as a nation you know, are carrying still some very outdated perceptions about what the population of this nation looks like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is rapidly changing, right? Mm -hmm. So whether we are looking at the demographic shift that's happening with millennials right now, whether we are looking at, you know, what has been called census 2050 and quickly changed to census 2040 and, you know, this idea of quote-unquote majority-minority and, you know, all these conversations, but they're all pointing to the fact that we are undergoing a rapid shift in terms of the makeup of our our country. And I think that what we feel most proud about is that we get to help lead the way mm-hmm. for more culturally relevant and creatively engaging professional development experiences. So we want to speak to the diaspora. It is our commitment to speak to the diaspora. And we also want to engage the multiple intelligences. So, you know, we're not just interested in people from the neck up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We want the whole being involved, right, in terms of how we engage. And, um, And our choice to work with creative and cultural entrepreneurs is because when we think about, again, this opportunity to really change the game and foster a new way of doing business in the world, we recognize that culture has been one of the the sort of the landscape that has been least activated and least touched. There's been a lot around policy. There's been a lot around regulation, right? There's been a lot around um, some of the sort of traditional organizing within the context of economic development, and we think that that's phenomenal work that's been happening, but there hasn't really been the cultural will Mm -hmm. to really look at what does it take to foster an economy that can work for all people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's our commitment. We want to serve people who carry that commitment and who want to build ventures that um, enrich the planet as opposed to that take from it. Right. It's funny. I think the diaspora is going to shift. Sometimes when I look at some of these TV anchors and I'm just like, oh, my God, and they're you know, super conservative and there's, they just seem so outdated. You know, it's funny to think that the people that you're working with would be the diaspora, you know, there's, it feels like the future. Yeah. It's the future and the present, right? You know, like the the face of the new America is wildly diverse. It is multifaceted. It is multicultural. It is Mm multi-perspective. It is multidisciplinary. You know what I mean? Like, We are becoming so much more out of the box, Mm -hmm. and I think it's exciting. And, you know, and in our commitment to serve people who are playing on all of those edges Mm -hmm. is exciting to us. Mm -hmm. And tell me a little bit more about what you mean when you say move the crowd. Hmm. Movements, like, you know, just the concept of movement and how this plays into it. 
Yeah, we, we when we say move the crowd, we mean just that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's really about transforming the mythology that success only belongs to a chosen few. Right. You know, I believe personally that there's far too much beauty, brilliance, intelligence, and magnificence in the world that we all can't thrive, you know, and, um, you know, for me in this age of the citizen, it is about providing opportunities where more people can achieve their own unique flavor of success, you know, Mm -hmm. and again, like I said, I think it's rooted in contribution and less in um, just personal um, acquisition. You know, and and so, you know, for me, this idea of demystifying success mm-hmm. and this idea of specifically supporting the creation of more passion-driven, value-centric, and economic, economically sustainable businesses is really the name of the game for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's just such a compelling name, and it makes sense when you're talking about cultural shifts. And when I think of movements back you know, in the 60s and the 70s, and, you know, they all had like a political agenda, we need to change policy. And I feel like movements now are more cultural, and that they are just as powerful as changing policy, if not more so, because the perspective changes. And when perspective changes, demand changes, the economy changes, as opposed to just having, you know, which believe me, I'm so grateful for a lot of the policies and the, and the laws that we have. So I don't mean to say anything negative about what's happened, but this, this concept of movement is shifting in a more of a cultural direction right now. And less, you know, that's what I see. So you're in like a really sweet spot here. Uh, Yeah, we, I mean, thank you for saying that. And we, and I do want to say humbly that we do feel that. And I mean, I think, you know, has, has my beloved Alla Jenkins, who is the executive director of the Opportunity Agenda, would say, you know, we need to move hearts, minds, and policy. And I think we particularly see the hearts and minds piece, mm-hmm. you know, um, coming from the context of culture. And, and, you know, I agree with you in that, you know, we also don't want to take anything away from what's come before us because I do think our movement builds on the legacy of work of, you know, people who are committed to triple bottom line businesses and people who are committed to a more just, harmonious, and sustainable planet. And I don't think that that movement is new at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a long legacy, right, of work that we're building on there. But the other thing that I will say I think is distinct about our, our movement, in addition to the culture piece, is, is the practicum. You know, and that, that's also, you know, um, how does philosophy meet everyday action? Mm-hmm. And I think more and more the, the movements that are engaging folks today are really thinking about how do you take it home, you know, and how do you put it on the ground in your life? Mm-hmm. And, and really, um, how does it become tangible for you as a place to come from? Mm-hmm. When you talk about the future. And I really appreciate that practice, by the way, I don't want to skim over that. But um, I think there's a lot of theory and concepts out there. And once Mm -hmm. again, it's a it's a nice, you know, way to bring it into the body, bring it into actual, you know, practice and every day and usefulness. Very, very important, especially when there's so much concept about what the new economy is and what's the right business approach. And 
So I, I super appreciate that. And now when you say the future economy, what does mm-hmm. that look like beyond triple mm-hmm. bottom lines? Like, give me some hard, is it capitalism? Yeah. Is it socialism? You know, what are we talking I about? I don't, I can't hold any one of those frames yeah. with any sense of conviction, quite frankly. Okay. Um, if, you know, <laughs> if I'm going to call it and if we get our way, you know, we're moving towards an economy of transformation. And f- from my perspective, some of the attributes are that we're going to move from a place of being far more creative and cooperative than competitive. Mm-hmm. We're going to move from a place of being far more relevant to addressing the needs of our global society as opposed to the agendas of a select few. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to move to a place of being far more interconnected versus isolated and siloed. Mm-hmm. And we're going to engage in multiple currencies. So money will be recognized as one currency, but it's not going to be the only currency. And it's certainly not going to have the kind of hierarchical ranking that it's had, where it's literally been put before our humanity, right? I think our humanity is coming back into the center. And I think that there are other currencies and resources and capacities that are going to be valued um, just as much as, as we currently value money. And so I think they're going to, there's going to be greater balance and greater integration in the future economy. And I think more people are going to participate from a place of being healthy versus from a place of being broken. Mm. Um, we don't really, in my mind, talk enough about how wide the gap is, how really wide the chasm is between people who are thriving and people who are not, and how um, you know rapidly that chasm is getting bigger and bigger yeah. by the day, you know, um, I just recently had the privilege to to give a, a commencement address at the uh, the ceremony for the graduate school of graduate studies for Marlboro uh, College, and uh, you know I talked about the fact that the uh, Economist uh, in indicator says that 43 percent of the 150 countries that they watch in terms of really sort of understanding the global landscape of civil unrest that 43%, 63 of those 150 countries have had social unrest just this year. year. So there is a way that, you know, we are really working to unearth the sort of ingrained inequity that has kind of had our world economy on lock for a very, very long time. And I think that all of this upheaval is, is making way for a new economy. And I believe and hope, again, if I have my way, that these elements are going to be incorporated in it and what we see in the future. Cool. Yeah, may it be so, sister. Dang, mm-hmm. we need it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think are some of the limiting beliefs that tend to hold people back from being successful and thriving in their businesses? What do you mm-hmm. see out there? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, the most common form, you know, there, there are three I'm going to name. The most common one is I am not enough, right? And you can fill in the blank. <laughs> Smart enough, capable enough, strong enough, connected enough, clear enough, right? Um, so this way that we individually perceive ourselves as somehow being deficit 
to whatever it is that we want to make manifest in the world. Mm-hmm. And that is uniformly across the board happening, right? So again, this is a sort of piece of culture and, um, and recognizing and understanding the prevalence of how culture operates, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that we uniquely see across the board is that uh, this sort of belief that if we do what we love, we'll starve. Uh-huh. But somehow, <laughs> uh-huh. we cannot have passion and love living next to our money. That in some way, shape, or form, we must sell out mm-hmm. in order to make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say the third, you know, we call these the greatest hits, by the way, at Move the Crowd. We, okay. <laughs> we listen for what we call our people's greatest hits. <laughs> I see. You know, the things that operate all day long that are on heavy rotation in your life, we call them your greatest hits, right? Right. And then then what I would say is probably the third most common greatest hit is that people won't like us. The fear that if we get too successful or too good or too amazing or too wonderful, that we're going to lose people. And not just the the sort of external scrutiny that we've come to see, you know, the sort of great American pastime of ripping people down in the public forum, but but we're going to lose people we love, like our spouses or our parents or our brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. or our closest friends. And those three fears tend to keep so many of us paralyzed and not really going for what it is that we know we're being called to. You know, there are others, but those are the three most common that we yeah. encounter in our work. Yeah. And and do you see some playing out more prevalently in some of the women that you work with? Yeah, I'm going to say the last one, certainly. Wow, you know, this fear of loss, fear of loss. You know, and again, not that we don't see the other two, we absolutely do. And, yeah. and again, those play out universally, but there is... There is something about our belief that if we stood in our full power, we would be alone. That tends to keep a lot of us stuck or small. That is just so deep. I don't even, I don't even know where to say. I mean, because it's ringing. It's starting to, like, it's deep down there. That is not something I would have put on my list of my greatest hits, but yet... Um, as you say it, there is something, I mean, I'm resonating with it. I'm, I'm definitely resonating with it. It's just an interesting concept that I haven't, you know, so, so the idea is just to dig a little bit more into it is that, that people won't like us anymore or that we will forget them and move on or that, it, you know, it's interesting. Be we, a different it, person. It, yeah. It's so funny in that, you, you know, I think it's less that we'll change. It's more that the people around us will see us grow and evolve and they will change in reaction to what they see Uh because they've become very comfortable with us being a particular way. Got it. Right. And, you know, I'm talking to my women who are the super givers and nurturers and caretakers and, and, you know, for those women, you know, <laughs> anything within a 20-mile radius of them has it pretty good. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I And get if that you now. become more committed to building your own vision and your own passion, it means you've got less time, right, to sort of help everybody else work their thing out. 
right? Right. Um, fixing and and caring for and taking care of can sometimes also be a way that we condition ourselves to believe, you know, we get love, right? Or we need to get love. We need to do these things to get love. And so, you know, often it's like, who, you know, who will love me if I'm not running around doing all these things for people, right? It's just sort of this, this way we set up this quid pro quo. And, um, and so, you know, standing in our power means setting boundaries, sometimes, right? Standing in our power means being willing to go for the bigger piece. You know, standing in our power means being willing to really be rigorous about the question of why we're here and what it is where we are to contribute, whether mm-hmm. it fits a societal framework or not. Um, and so I think for women it's difficult because we provide that connective tissue for, you know, for so much of what's around us that when we make a shift, everybody does feel it. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's a lot of concern about what that means. Right. I, I'm curious to see you yourself because, God, you just seem so invincible and strong. And when you talk, I mean, you never, like, for instance, there are some women who have this uh, habit of ending with a question. You never do that. You are like, I'm saying this and I'm putting my foot down, you know, like I feel you rooted in every sentence you say. Have you ever had limiting beliefs early on your journey and, um, um, and how was your uh, way out? I mean, had. <laughs> okay. I, I, be, I believe to be human is to have them. Okay. And to have them is to be human. Um, what I will say that I've done and what has made a difference for me has been, one, being willing to confront them head on and really smoke them out. You know, sometimes, you know, we have a whole body of work that we do in our curriculum with entrepreneurs where we really go in. You know, we go into the garden with the shovel, digging for the weeds. Yeah. <laughs> right? We, we, yeah. We're coming to pull the weeds, right? Yeah. And, you know, some of us, for some of us, it's like you walk in our garden and it's really apparent. Like they're, you know, they're they're growing wild and free and crazy and for others of us, you know, we've got a beautiful oriental rug on top of them. We've got a gorgeous couch or a chaise lounge, or, you know what I mean? A beautiful lamp or, you know, they're hidden Yeah. and they're not conscious. And so, you know, the first uh, piece of work, and we really walk folks through a six-step process, but the first piece of work is the awareness piece and really being willing to be lovingly rigorous with identifying what those conversations are. And the value to that is that when they come up, you actually can see them operating Mm -hmm. and you can't do anything till you see, right? Chantal, I mean, you know, we can say whatever we want to say, but the truth is you don't see until you see. Right. And you know, the first opportunity for liberation is awareness. And once you can see them operating, I know for me, right, once I could see them operating, I actually could slow it down a little bit mm-hmm. and go, whoa, I'm doing that thing again, or whoa, I'm saying that thing again to myself. And then, like, really ask myself, is that what I want to do here? You know, or, you know, okay, I see myself doing that. You know, I forgive myself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm going to do something different or I'm going, yeah. you know, I'm going to course correct. Right. 
But, you know, this awareness piece and, and also the acceptance piece, which even becomes before the opportunity to sort of move, it, you know, is to accept that, um, that, you know, sometimes I can be worse to myself than my own worst enemy mm-hmm. in some of the things I say yes, to right. myself. Um, and the opportunity to accept that and face that and confront that and start to heal that and forgive, you know, myself around that and. That's pivotal, mm-hmm. pivotal, because of course the first time we see it, the first, the, the sort of the next sort of knee-jerk thing that we want to do is beat ourselves up about it. Yes, you know, which only makes us feel worse, right? Which only digs the hole deeper, <laughs> you know. Um, and so there is a real process, a real step-by-step process that was completely life-changing for me. It's what we teach in our work. Um, to, to shift it, and and it's what I have over time been able to practice. So my conviction doesn't come from um, this sort of place of not being human or being better than anybody else, right? It comes from hours and hours and years and years and, you know, mm-hmm. and decades of practice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I really appreciate that step, practicing the step of forgiveness and that you didn't just gloss over it, you know, because it's so easy, especially in this, you know, when you really want your business to work and mm-hmm. something comes up and it's so easy to just go to the positive. No, I can do it. I can do it. And just push away the, you know, once I've got the awareness, I'm moving into this positive affirmation sort yeah. of manifest mm-hmm. mode. and. Mm-hmm. Not so fast. Right. I really yeah. appreciate mm-hmm. that you're slowing mm-hmm. that down mm-hmm. and bringing mm-hmm. in the, not just the awareness, but the step of the self-forgiveness and the, the acceptance. Yeah, because, I'm going to give you the six steps just because we're here and whoever may be listening, this may be yeah. helpful. The first, the first step is awareness. Yeah. The second step is acceptance. Mm-hmm. Also really important. That's what you talk about, the push it away. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's not me. Oh, I'm just over or they're overreacting or you right. All those ways we yeah. want to distance ourselves from the unpleasant, right? Mm-hmm. Especially as women, because that's our conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, second step is acceptance. You know, how do you be with it? Really confront it and be with it. Third is forgiveness, mm-hmm. and then the fourth is new vision which is about the new commitment, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'm clear. I don't want to do that anymore. Here's what I do want to embrace, right? Here's what I do want to believe. Here's what I do want to hold on to. Uh, Right action, right? Step number five. And then step number six is celebration. Oh, nice. And I can't tell you how important the last one is, Right, because we get it, and then we're on to the next and on to the next. You know what I mean? And then we kind of look up and wonder why we don't feel acknowledged or don't feel appreciated or don't feel taken care of. And I'm going to say, you know, be it big, be it small, celebrate every single victory Mm -hmm. because, you know, you see your progress, and you get to own your progress. So when you're back in those situations, you get to go, up, 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 wait a minute, time out. I got a new commitment or I got a new attitude. <laughs> we ain't doing that. Right. <laughs> right? So even in the celebration, it gives you greater capacity to course correct, 
when those situations arise again. Right. And, you know, you can be tempted to go into old habits or old ways of operating, old ways of thinking, old ways of being. So awareness, acceptance, forgiveness, new vision, right Mm -hmm. action, right? So you act consistent with the new vision, celebration. Nice. One of the things that you are strong about in your business philosophy is authenticity and that authenticity actually will augment your business. And I would like to hear a little bit more about that, especially in the context of the actual business of selling and marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another cornerstone of our work is something we call an L3. And I think you remember when we did the, the wonderful power party in mm-hmm. New York with emerging women, I walked your gorgeous women through a, a sort of a mini version of, of this work. And it's yeah. the L3 stands for how you live, how you love, and how you lead. Mm-hmm. And it is our way of getting to the heart of your vision, your mission, and your purpose. So when we talk about authenticity, the question that we ask in our work is what is the context that guides how you live, move, and have your being in the world? And to what degree have we had an opportunity to really touch the true essence of who we are, of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's what gives you access to authenticity Mm -hmm. and, and integrity, right? And so when you start to think about it in a sales paradigm, and it's so fascinating you're asking this question because our theme of the month this month is represent. (laughs) And it's a combination of the L3 and USP. (laughs) Right? And we actually, when we teach USP, which is unique selling proposition, right? So funny you should ask this, right? When we teach unique selling proposition, we begin with having our entrepreneurs develop their L3 okay. because the authenticity of your being, right, your core being, and, and, and I'll sort of give you the elements of the, the L3 so that this will make sense as we turn to the USP part, but the core elements of the L3 are how you live is about what you value, what is most important to you on the planet, the, the kind of world you want to see, the kind of values you want to live by, how you love is about your gifts, what you're here to bring. So it's the unique combination of your talents, your skills, and your abilities. And then how you lead, which is about your purpose, is about what you're here to affect on the world. You know, what is the passionate impulse that's guiding you towards, you know, that opportunity or that challenge that is facing humanity that you want to be the one to engage in and address, right? Uh And so... Your L3 is like a thumbprint. There are no two L3s alike. And we walk our entrepreneurs through a process where they actually develop a declaration. So it's the articulation of the essence of who they are. And when you come from that place, you begin to look at, well, why am I creating this offering? What is the impact that I want to have in the world? Who are the people I most want to serve? You know, so you're, you're asking different kinds of questions than, do I look good? Is my logo hot? 
<laughs> and I'm not saying you shouldn't have a hot logo, right? Let's be clear. I'm not saying you shouldn't yes. have awesome coloring, right? Yes. But 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 the 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 interrogation comes from a place of spirit as mm-hmm. opposed to ego, mm-hmm. and it's less about looking good and more about making a difference and having an impact. And when you sell from that place, right, from the love, right, how you love what you have to offer and what you want to impact and and your values, what you care most about, and the intersection of those three things, you have the opportunity to strike a chord with people who care about what you care about, with people who need what you have to offer with people who are passionate about and part of the difference you want to make. Mm -hmm. And so you attract people from that place. Your speaking looks different, right? Your market copy looks different. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? When you're coming from that place, you're inviting people as opposed to manipulating people to engage with you. And you're also honoring whether or not it's a match. So you're interviewing your clients as much as your clients are interviewing you. Why? Because you don't want to make any promise you can't deliver on. That's the authenticity. That's integrity. That You feel me? So that, like, that's coming back to your values. So if that is ingrained in how you market and how you sell, you have a different experience of, of the, the process and your clients or your prospective clients have a very different experience of you and what you have to offer in your mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. because you're coming from that place. Right. Well, it's just so interesting, that concept of interviewing your audience. Um, instead of pushing information out, it's more of a sort of a co-creation. Yeah. And uh, I think that's part of this new economy that you're talking about. This is, this is shifting. I see it happening. And the, the people that are doing that, I'm like, oh, I like this. Yeah. I can't really put my finger on it, but I like it. I feel invited somehow. Yeah, it's Not about partnership. At. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about partnership. Business yeah. is about partnership. It's about being in relationship in relationship to everything and everyone in a way that honors and uplifts and expands the quality of experience for everyone and everything involved. Like that's a place to come from Mm -hmm. when you're building your business. We are at the end. So I'm going to ask you um, one more question here as it pertains to women and our emerging women audience our audience is in general about, I would say we're about 60% entrepreneurs, about 40% executives, mm-hmm. um, people that work for bigger companies. And I have a hunch that a lot of those executives or a percentage of them actually want to leave their jobs and become entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll be finding out more about that. But what, what would advice would you give for somebody who is in that situation, whether they're an entrepreneur now and they want to change their business or they're an executive, they want to become an entrepreneur or they're a woman who's ready to make like a huge change. But there's, there's just a lot of fear. I know I went through this when I Mm -hmm. left my fabulous, fabulous job and mentor. 
um, to start emerging women. And um, I would have loved to have heard from you the advice that you would have given me at that time. And I think there are a lot of women in this position. Yeah, there are three things that I'm going to offer up as a way to begin to make the turn. The first thing I want to invite you to do is to carve time and space to nurture the dream. Mm -hmm. Write about it, draw about it, paint about it. You know, support yourself in being able to help crystallize and bring into, you know, manifestation. And and we talk about, you know, the different ways that we kind of take things, right, from Mm -hmm. the ethereal into the material, (laughs) right? Um, It's through writing, through speaking, through sharing, through articulating that things begin to be made manifest. So the first thing is to create space. It can be a weekend, doesn't matter. But you're carving time for yourself. And that time is specifically earmarked to nurture the idea, to nurture the dream. You're, if you're sharing the dream, this is really important, if you are sharing the dream, you are only sharing it with people who you know are going to be good stewards of yeah. your, right, you hear what I'm saying, Very right, nice. of what you're Very creating. Very good feedback, yes, thank you. you do not cast pearls. Y'all know that saying. Yes, <laughs> it is a difficult saying. Do <laughs> not cast pearls, right? right? So you have, you know, if you have confidants who can hold the dream with you and be your cheerleaders, right? A lot of women are forging sacred circles now, and I'm, I'm so thrilled. I mean, in every facet, right, of our community, women are forging sacred circles. And I'm going to say that, you know, this is a perfect place where you all get to be the keepers of each other's dreams here. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Create space to cultivate the dream. If it makes sense in circle and community, lovely. The second thing I'm going to say is begin to show up in your present scenario as your whole self. And I say that because oftentimes, Chantal, what happens is people get mad at their jobs. Mm. You hear what I'm saying? (laughs) And when you're mad at your job, we show up a particular way, don't we? The opportunity is to outgrow the experience of the job. And you don't do that by constricting. You actually do it by expanding. So the opportunity is to actually excel in such a way that you actually outgrow the experience, Mm -hmm. right? And it may sound counterintuitive, right, to do that and cultivate the dream, but you'll begin to see what I mean when I give you the third one, right? Because if you see excelling at your job as preparation for running your business, right? Mm -hmm. There's a whole other opportunity of skills that you get to bring to bear. Within the excelling of your job, you do want to start to think in an entrepreneurial way. 
And I'm going to say to you that probably most of your executives are already starting to think in that way, if they've not already, because certainly they've achieved a certain level of success within the structure. But you do want to begin thinking about what is your unique brand of leadership? What is your unique brand of contribution? And how are you delivering that in the context of the company? And how is that currently benefiting the company? Mm-hmm. in the context of the things that the company holds near and dear, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that as you begin to, and you're, and you're also results-oriented, right? And again, like I said, your executives, my guess is this is all, y'all should be amen, amen, amen. <laughs> but if for whatever reason some of your executives are hearing this and <clears throat> and they see the opportunity to reshift or recommit or recalibrate, um, you're, about, you're about the results. You know, you're honoring, of course, in the process, you're honoring, of course, in your leadership and the work, and you're also very much committed to what it is that you want to deliver, because these are the things that are going to serve you in whatever it is that you're building, whatever it is that you're creating. And then the third thing I'll give you, and I'm only going to give you three, there are plenty more I could give you, but three is what I think makes sense in this, in this context. Write the resignation letter. Date it. Hold it. You'll know exactly when it's time to hand it in. But write the letter because universally it symbolically recognizes your full intent to make that pivot. Fabulous. That's a strong one. Thank you so much, Ra. Mm, so welcome. My honor and my privilege, Chantal. And- just to your amazing women, you know, thank you for all that you're already doing. Thank you. You know, to, to make our world better. Right back at you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.